morning. Are you, uh, you excited this morning? Are you awake this morning? Did the cold weather kind of catch you off guard? <laughs> well, as you know by now, Pastor Terry's in Nepal and he asked me to speak for him, and it's always an honor and a privilege to do so, and I'm so blessed to uh, be able to do that, okay? So I just want to tell you this morning that you all look wonderful this morning. And if someone told you otherwise, they lied to you. Amen. How many of you have been enjoying the sermon series on grace? I tell you, it's, it's an amazing series, and it's a, a very powerful and transformational series. And I tell you, this, uh, the grace of God is one of my favorite topics uh, and a favorite teacher, that is the Word of God. And so today, we're going to uh, continue the sermon series on grace. And uh, we're going to talk about, if I were to retitle this message, I would say, The Grace of God Versus Human Effort. Amen. So uh, we're going to continue the sermon series. And uh, I just want to tell you that I'm excited being here this morning to share the Word of God. You know, today many Christians are, are confused about the grace of God. Would you agree? I mean, they have a misunderstanding about the grace of God. We have different beliefs and teachings about grace. I think uh, I pretty much heard them all. Uh, and then we have uh, different types of graces that you probably heard about. We have some use the term loosely, liberal grace. And we have law plus grace. And we have deeds plus grace. And hyper grace. And uh, all sorts of other graces. And you hear stuff like uh, falling from grace. How many of you have heard of that one? You know, they speak about believers who had an illicit affair. And they say, oh, he's falling from grace. And I tell you, the media loves to have a blast with that one. But you know what? That's a misunderstanding because falling from grace really means when you replace the grace of God for following the law of God to gain acceptance with God. That's what falling from grace means. So when somebody else tells you something about someone else, sorry, you got to go. Because those persons have fallen into grace, not from grace, if they're believers. Amen? Amen. And so, you know, there's a lot of misinterpretation about grace. And, and so today, uh, I'm going to speak about Paul explaining the meaning of grace. So this is the title of the message, The Meaning of Grace. And so we, uh, we know there's a lot of misunderstanding uh, among believers when it comes to grace. Let me ask you something. How many of you have been misunderstood by someone? I mean, you go and you tell somebody, so I just took it the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean that's not what you meant. Then you run after and try to fix it up, you know, and say, no, sweetheart, that's not what I meant. Would you please listen to me, honey? <laughs> Do you follow me? Hey, listen, I have an issue with Siri on my cell phone. I mean, we go at it. Every time I ask for information, she gives me the wrong information. It's unbelievable. And I, I get frustrated. And people look at me, man, that guy's going crazy with that cell phone. I go, one time I asked Siri, Siri, you know, trying to get back into shape here, you know, the doctor put me on a strict diet. And I asked Siri, hey, Siri, where, what is a good uh, exercise for pets? And she responds, pets. Uh, an animal is that is detrimental to human beings. Call me a pet. That's it. I'm using Google from here on. That's enough already. You've been misunderstood. Or maybe it's just a small misunderstanding. 
a man called the United Airlines office and asked, hey, how long does it take uh, to fly to Boston? And the clerk said, while she was on the computer, just a minute. And the guy said, thank you, and hung up. Small misunderstandings can make a big difference, amen? Two farmers were fishing on the side of the road, and they made a sign saying, the end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. And they showed it to each passing car. And one of the drivers that passed didn't appreciate the sign and shouted, leave us alone, you religious loser. And all of a sudden, they heard a big splash. And then one of the farmers said to the other, do you think we should have just put a sign that says bridge out instead? How many believe that's a major misunderstanding? The book of Galatians is an epistle, but it's simply a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to be read in public to the churches that he planted. You see, Paul was an apostle, but he was a church planter. And he sent these new churches with a new message of faith. Established by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as Christianity. And Paul would leave a church that he had planted and other churches to start other churches. He would plant a church, and then he would leave start another church over here. I can relate to Paul because I planted a church, and I'll get to that in a minute. And Paul, he would leave a church, and uh, in this time he was in Galatia. And this, was, this, is, this area is known today as uh, modern-day Turkey. But there was another group of Christians. You know, they were, they were Jewish uh, followers of Christ. They were called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers would come after Paul left, and, and you know, they would sort of change the gospel around, you know, pick it up a notch, you know. And, and so they would come, and uh, uh, they say to these, uh, uh, they used to call the Gentiles the uncircumcised, which this is one of the laws that they were pushing on them to do in order for them to be a complete Christian. So basically, they would come and say, you know, you're not really fully a Christian yet until you fulfill some of the Old Testament law. So there's more that you need to do, uh, and so you need to follow these Old Testament laws. And so these new believers, these Gentiles, that well, well, gee, I, I, I guess I, I better do that, you know. I mean, I really want to be a Christian. So they bought into this uh, in obeying the Old Testament law, and they fell for the teachings of it. So they misunderstood what it meant to be a Christian saved by grace. Now, Paul is really upset here. He is furious as he writes these letters. And, you know, when you read the book of Galatians, there's a lot of emotions. When you read, I, I reread it, and I, I said, man, Paul is really not happy here. And he explains the issue at hand. And when you read the book of Galatians, there is a profound theological, doctrinal teaching about grace in the letter of Galatians. Now, here in Galatians chapter 3, Paul begins to explain the gospel because he's saying to these Gentiles, listen, I want you to know and to understand what the gospel is. I want you to understand it. I want you to get it. Are you with me so far? Now, here's what he says. Uh, notice the tone of Paul in this letter in Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to kind of start, you know, kind of digging some of the part of the verses, and we'll explain a little bit about it. Look what he says. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Now, 
Now, you may have other ver- versions that says, uh, who has bewitched you? And the Greek word for that is uh, uh, bestanio, and it means to have an evil eye, the evil eye. In other words, it's a, it's a look that kills. You know, I remember when my brothers and I were kids, you know, my dad was a strict disciplinarian. We would go out places and, you know, young boys, you know how they are. They misbehave and stuff and knock stuff down and, you know, make parents look bad. You know how it is, right? <laughs> and we would, uh, we would do all these sort of things. And my father would sort of, you know, he would like, see the evil eye, you know, he's like, damn it. I wanted you. You know, and my brothers and I were, oh, we're going to get it once we get home. I mean, we're done, right? And so, you know, and there are people in the church who has that evil eye. They got the, the look that kills. And, and they also have a list. You know, this is in church now. They have a list. And they come from a church that, you know, they just got the look at you, scan you before you walk in. It goes something like this. You know, they're scanning you with the evil eye. Look at her. Just look at her. I can't believe she's dressed like that for church. I mean, how dare she? How could she come dressed like that to the house of the Lord? Or, (laughs) oh, my, oh, oh, Lord, look at him. Oh, just look at him wearing that Dallas Cowboys jersey to church. I mean, come on. (laughs) Can't believe he even likes that team. I tell you, he needs deliverance. For all you Dallas Cowboys fans, listen, I love you. We're still in Texas, okay? So Dallas is part of the team, too. Okay. But, you know, it's funny because those same people that criticize, they do the same thing. And so now listen to uh, uh, what Paul is saying here. They have an evil eye. I mean, they just give you an evil eye, and and this is what Paul is going to get into here in a minute as I read on. And they give you an evil eye to judge you. Remember, the evil eye comes with judgment. And they judge you, and then they turn their noses up on you. I tell you, church, this is, this is religion at its height. This is the religious people at its height, right? This is religion at its height. Now, listen to what Paul says. Uh, he says, instead of the evil eye, this is what you need. Now, notice what he says in the verse. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death. So Paul is saying what you really don't know is about Christ's death. You don't know because you've lost the meaning of what, of what Christ's death meant. And so he goes on, and it was made as clear to you. Notice that. That's what my wife says, honey, I made it as clear as I can for you, honey. You know, I'm married to a teacher, so, you know, I have to get on the board, and I will listen closely next time. I will listen closely next time. <laughs> I don't need a ride after church here, you know. So Paul says, it was made as clear to you as if you had seen a, notice what he says, if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Listen, it can't be any clearer than that. Now watch this, this is what he says. I like this. Now let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Now Paul is asking them, guys, come on. Did your life get changed when you were obeying all the Old Testament laws? And, of course, you know, they got their heads on, uh, no, not really, you know. And Paul says, of course not. What's the matter with you? Snap out of it. Get with it already. That's my version, by the way. 
But this is the tone of Paul's letter. He's pretty upset. He goes on to say, you received the spirit because you believed the message that you heard about Christ. And this is what I want to share with you today, church. That, that the message of Jesus is about Jesus Christ. That's the message. It's about Jesus Christ. Because there are people that have been in church their whole lives. And they still don't know what the message is. That's the honest truth. Are you with me so far? Amen. How foolish, he goes on to say, can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? And here's the opposite, church, of the true Christian life. By doing it on your own efforts. That's why those who have a lisp, that's why those who have the evil eye, or the evil that looks like Phil, they lift their noses up to you for judgment. Because they think, now follow me, that their human effort is better than yours. So they judge you because they basically, what they try to do, they intimidate you into thinking, well, <laughs> well now you're buying it. Well, I guess I... To wear a full suit, you know, I, I can't, I can't say things very criticizing the church. I better wear a suit. And here is the opposite of the true Christian life: by doing it on your own efforts. Now, listen, church. Make sure you really understand. That this is what I want to get to you today. Make sure that you understand the gospel, because we really, church, ended up in a bad situation. You see, we committed sin. And honestly, it didn't take a bunch of sins for you to be a sinner. It just took one. You only have to commit one sin to be a sinner, like a murderer. You don't have to commit a bunch of murders to be a murderer. All you have to do is do one, kill one person, you're a murderer. You already broke the law. And the Bible says that everyone, say that with me this morning. Everyone of us have sinned, all of us, every pope, every pastor, every priest, every person has sinned, amen? And so we fall short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, we cannot be in God's presence. You know, when I come here to worship, you know, I ask myself, Lord, am I clean? Am I clean? I don't want to step into your presence if I'm not clean. Right? I want to be clean, Lord. I want to worship with a clean heart, a clear conscience. I want to be clean when, I, when I'm in your presence. And God leaves on and says, yeah, I made you clean. Amen? Now, let me say this. Let me say it this way. Sin and God cannot be in the same room because that was just equated. It can't happen. Why? Well, here's the problem. God wants to be with you. He created you. For his own pleasure. Did you know that God created you for his own pleasure? He created you for his own pleasure. He created you not to be his servants. That's why he created the angels. But he created you to be in his fellowship with him. And that's why he doesn't just want to be your God. He wants to be your father. Abba, father. Isn't that awesome? 
that you can point them to Abba, Father, Daddy. He wants to be your father. And he wants to be in this relationship with you. The problem is, is that we have sin. We have sin. So how, you may ask yourself this morning, okay, Joe, well, you know, how do I get rid of this sin? I mean, I want to be with God, and that's the goal of every religion is somehow, how do I deal with the issue that separates us from God? How do we get to God? This is where it becomes different from every other religion, and that's where Christianity stands all on its own. It's not all about human effort, which most religions do. Amen? Now, I'll tell you this. The penalty, the wage, the bill that you have to pay for even one sin, church, follow me, you have to die for it. You may say, well, gee, that's not fair. Hey, I got pulled over by a police officer. Uh, sir, you went over uh, 36 miles, uh, 35 speed limit. Well, I'm sorry, one mile. You still broke the law. Uh, man, I want to tell you, man, I really appreciate what you guys do out there. And, uh, man, I'm really praying for you. Well, thank you so much. Here's the court date. I'll see you. You didn't let me go by. Just for one mile. But guess what? I broke the law. Because the law says 35, not 36, amen? So I took my car to the Honda dealer. Listen, man, something's wrong with that speedometer. I was going 35, and that thing said 36. But the problem was me, right? I broke the law. That's what we all do. We all sin. So how do I get rid of that sin? Okay, well, I'll tell you this. You have to pay the bill for your one sin. And you may say, well, hey, that's, that's sort of a catch-22, don't you think? Because if I have to die for it to get to God, then I can't get to God because I'm dead. How are we going to work this out? Now, you see the dilemma? How are we going to fix this? In order to get to God, to get rid of your sin, that is, you have to pay for your sins, riches, and hell. I know this, a lot of people don't want to hear about hell, but let me tell you, it's a big subject. And let me explain something to you. I had a guy tell me, listen, man, I don't believe in hell. Oh, okay. So don't tell me about hell because there's no hell. Really? Well, there's a hell whether you believe it or not. See, your, your basis on your reality that hell doesn't exist doesn't change the fact that it exists. Let me tell you something, buddy. Fire burns whether you believe it or not. Poison kills whether you believe it or not. Jump off a high-story building and watch gravity take its course. It'll kill you whether you believe it or not. Did you get that? Well, that's deep. But I still don't believe in hell. Well, you know, most people don't, and sadly, most Christians, a lot of Christians don't, amen? But God, see, God didn't want that for you. You see, honestly, church, God did not create hell for you. He created it for Satan and his demons. You see, God sent his son Jesus to step into the courtroom of your life where you have been sentenced with execution, with capital punishment because of your sin, because of my sin. But Jesus said, I will pay the bill. I will pay the bill. Hey, church, that's the best news you'll ever hear. I will pay the bill, and Jesus has paid the bill. He's paid it all, hallelujah. On Calvary, he said, it is done. It's finished. You got nothing left to do. I've done it all. It's paid for. Have you ever had that experience with God? Somebody paid something for you? You're going to pay something? No, you didn't owe it. Somebody paid for you. 
Oh, wow, that's great. I remember many years ago, uh, the last time I was in the World Trade Center in New York City, I was with my wife and her family, and they had never been to New York. So I said, hey, I'll give you a tour. You know, we'll see Manhattan. We'll have a blast. We ended up at the World Trade Center, remembering those beloved iconic towers that ruled the sky of Manhattan. And I remember telling her family, hey, we got to go to this restaurant. It's called the Wendy's of the World. It's on the top floors of the North Tower in the World Trade. You'll love it. I mean, you sit there, you eat, and you can see all of New York and New Jersey and all. You can see everybody. And uh, you'll love it. And so they got excited. Let's go. So we went over there, you know, and we get there, and, you know, we, uh, we go, you know, we had to pay to go up. I don't know if it was $10, $15 at the time per person, and it was about eight of us. And I remember at the time our son, Janot, he's about two, almost two years old, and he was giggly and, you know, always, you know, always messing around, just like two little babies do. And we get to the cashier, and, and uh, I go, yeah, I'm going to buy some tickets to get up there. And they're like, oh, man, a lot of money to, you know, and so it's a big family, right? And, uh, and my son... You know, he's about almost two years. He starts flirting with the cashier. He's like, yeah, 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 you know. You know, he's cute, you know, just like me, you know. And, but he starts flirting with, uh, with the cashier, right? And the cashier just, her eyes are just locked into him. I mean, she just fell in love. Oh, he's so adorable. You know, and then she looks at me and goes, you know what, I'm going to give you free passes to go out to the top floor. I said, man, that's great. <laughs> wow, yeah, thank you. I don't have to pay all that kind of money. And so we were blessed, and while we were going up this huge elevator, you know, going to the top floors, and I was carrying my son. I said, oh, son, you're just so adorable. You know what? I want you to flirt with the hostess and the waitress at the restaurant so we can get a free lunch. <laughs> but unfortunately, Cindy Crawford took the whole restaurant. We couldn't go there, so we went to the other top floor so we can see all of New York. I mean, it's just an amazing view if you've never been to that event. You can go now. The Freedom Tower is amazing. But you know what? It, it was a blessing to know that, hey, it's faithful. It's faithful. It's exciting. That's what Jesus did. He stepped into our world because our sin, not his sin, let me clarify that, our sin, he paid for that. I should have paid for that. I should have paid for my own sin. But he came and he paid the bill. And I'll tell you this. God does not send anyone to hell because he's mad at you. You know, I grew up thinking that because my dad was a strict discipline. You know, my dad's from Colombia. So, you know, over there, hey, you misbehave, you're going to get it for sure. That's a plus. So we were disciplined strictly. So I thought my dad was always mad at me. So guess what? I pictured that God the Father was also mad at me. It's, am- it's, it's amazing how the father figure affects the children. And I grew up with that. And so we see here that God will not send you to hell because he's mad at you. Hell is a place where people can pay for their own sin if they choose to. But you don't have to go there. Why? Because Jesus has already paved the way for you and you and you and you and you and you and me. Paid for. Isn't that exciting? But if you reject the payment that God has made for you, and then you yourself will have to pay for your own sin in eternity and hell forever. What does that mean? You'll never pay it off. You'll never pay it off. That's why Jesus paid. James 2.10. I'm sorry, let me go back to Galatians 2.10. 
with me. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. Get that? So it is not God cursing you. It is you cursing yourself. You know why? Well, let's read on. For it is written. For it is written, curses everyone who does not continue. Notice that word, continue. If you can't fulfill the old law to continue, it only takes one to be cursed. So you got to continue to do the whole law. Look what, it's, look what Paul says, to do everything written in the book of the law, which is completely impossible. You know how many laws are in the Old Testament? There's about 613 laws. It's impossible for you to fulfill every law. James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles just at one, just at one point, church, is guilty of breaking all of it. Are you part? Listen, again, this is the good news. That's why this series is so great. You know, and for those of you who are mature Christians, listen, you got a lot to share about grace. And for those of you that want to explain your faith, this is a good way to start in understanding God's grace when someone asks you. The first thing you need to know is that the law couldn't be obeyed. The law couldn't be obeyed. Galatians 3.19, what then? What was the purpose of the law? Yeah, what was the purpose of the law? Because it still can't be obeyed. You see, church, doing good things Going to church a lot, praying a lot, serving a lot, giving a lot, reading your Bible a lot. I mean, you just can't do it enough. None of those things cures the curse of sin. Are you with me so far? It doesn't cure sin, none of it. So the law couldn't be obeyed. Therefore, the law cannot cure you. It cannot change you. And it cannot change your sinful nature. You see, many people believe, well, <laughs> Hey, listen, if I do good things, if I do at least 51% of good, so I'll outweigh the bad. You know, I'll get by. You know, I'll get to heaven because, hey, you know, I, I did 51% good. I'll outweigh the bad. Right? So then you go into heaven prancing around, boasting. Hey, I did 51%, man. I made it, buddy. You ready to? It's not going to happen. I will not see you there if that's the way you think. Are you with me, church? I outweigh the bad by 51%. No, it only takes one to miss the whole thing. So now Paul asks the question, and he knew the answer. What was the purpose of the law? Because people want to know. If the law can't cure us and cannot be obeyed, and nobody's going to be able to do it, why did God give it? Well, that's a good question. Why is there even an Old Testament? Well, the answer was, is, is that, God wanted to create that frustration in you that you cannot do it yourself so that you would go looking somewhere else. You see, please understand this. There is nothing wrong with the law. The law is holy. It's pure. It is not really Moses' law. It's God's law. So it's holy. But what's the problem? You can never fulfill it. Galatians 3.24. So the law was put in charge. What was the law given for? So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. When you study the Old Testament, it talks about Jesus. Are you with me so far? <laughs> you read the whole Bible, it's all about Jesus. And so he says, he says here, 
to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith, not that faith has come. We're no longer under the supervision of the law. You see, the law, we, we say that the, the law can't tell me what to do. But when we obey the, the law of grace, something changes on the inside of us. Listen, have you ever come across a painted area and there's a little sign that says, wet paint, do not touch? What are you doing? Come on, church. You know you touch it. You know you touch that paint, right? Okay, I've done it. You know, and I look at that and say, you know, don't tell me what to do. I want to touch it. And so what does that little sign tell me? It draws the weakness out of me. It tells me you don't have the power. And guess what? That little sign doesn't have the power to stop me. Why? Because I'm enslaved to this sinful nature. I'm enslaved to sin, and I can't stop. I don't have the power. Now, had there not been a sign, I wouldn't have touched it. Well, there's no law, there's no sin. Amen? <laughs> I know, I thought some bad things, let me tell you. Thank God for his grace. So, number one, we see that the law leads us to Christ. Because you, know, you will not be able to do it. So, I dedicate this message to anybody here who has been out there trying to please God by going to church, by reading your Bible, giving, serving. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things. Uh, getting baptized. Some people say, man, I got baptized 20 times. Oh, wow. That's quite a, quite a baptism there. Not by aiming at those things, realizing that every time you do those things, you're saying, I'm not a different person by doing all those things. I really don't want to do it anymore. What happened? You did it wrong. You did it all wrong. You went the wrong way. You were supposed to go. You weren't supposed to do all those things. You were supposed to go to Jesus himself. And now when that happens, when you come to Jesus, then you're doing it the right way. A miracle happens. If I can tell you my testimony, you'd be like, oh, how can he be up there preaching? Tell you something, I did things that the devil made me scratch his head. Why do you think about that? I mean, I was bad. But thank Lord he rescued me. And I could never do it on my own. Amen? You did it all wrong, Joe. But when I came to Christ, he took care of it. Look at me, church. Listen to me. You need to get this. You would think that all this effort would do something to you. That I can turn myself into godliness and you can't. But when you receive what Jesus did, when you go to the ruler of ruler, the ruler of all things instead of the rule, a miracle happens on the inside. There's a verse in Corinthians that says that any man, is, any man in Christ is a new creation, right? All things, all, the old things are gone, the new has come. I love that verse. Which means Christianity, church, is not a learned behavior. It's not a learned behavior. It's a transformation on the inside. It's a miracle. And only God can do that miracle. Galatians 3.24, the law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Christianity doesn't ask you to do right. It wants to make you right. Let me say that again. Christianity doesn't want you to do right or make you want to do right on your own. It wants to make you right. It wants you to be transformed on the inside. And that's what happens when you come to God through faith. And it is critical, church, for you to understand what grace, God's grace is all about. 
I really don't just want you to know this, church. I want you to experience it. And that's what this is. To experience this grace of God. Because I'll say this, you don't have to come to church every Sunday to be trained on good behavior. No, uh, stop. Stop trying to do it on your own effort. <laughs> Some of you guys went to that church too, huh? I mean, that, that you had, there was a, I don't know, a certain pastor that sort of had an eight-foot-long pointer finger at you saying, you're going to go to hell if you don't behave. Hey, boy, I'm watching you. Yeah, and so what happened? You're going to be, you, you're going to displease God, they tell you. And so now you're going, now you're going to that place. If you don't behave, hey, I'm watching you. I see the way you're dressed. Oh, you didn't read your Bible. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Makes you want to run out of that church, right? Makes you want to run out the back door and go to Chewy's or something. You know? You don't want to be there. And you know what? It doesn't help you at all. It doesn't help you to change. And that's not the gospel, church, much less the grace of God. That's why you need to experience grace. You need to experience Jesus. And when you do, you will say, oh, my goodness, something new has happened to me. A miracle has happened to me. So let me move a little quickly here. You got five things I want I got five things I want to share with you this morning about living in grace. Number one, grace is a free gift. It is a free gift. You cannot earn it. Have you ever received a nice gift for your birthday? Somebody gave you this nice gift? And what are you going to say? Oh, thank you. How much do I owe you? No. It's a free gift. It's free. It's good. Yeah, you know, but you can't really pay for it. Anyway, uh, can I take that believer something? Can I shine your shoes? I mean, I got to do something. No. It's a free gift. What don't you get? It's a free gift. Do you get it? <laughs> it's a free gift. Jesus did not come for you to earn anything. He came to give you a free gift. He, came, he just came to say, I have something that you cannot get on your own, and I want to give it to you. Now, this is huge, church, because he, he, he just did not come to give you a gift to let you off the hook. Remember, sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid for. So his gift was his life, was his life. And sometimes we take Jesus' death lightly. We take his death lightly, amen? And we forget the horror of that moment that Jesus went through and forgot the Father. And God had to allow the death on the cross to continue on. Think about that. He had to allow it to continue on. Imagine God wanting to step in. Like, oh, that's my son. That's my son. He, 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 he killed on the cross. But he had to stop. You know why? Because he thought of you. He thought of you, you, me. So he held back and allowed the horror to take place on his son, his beloved son. So grace is a free gift. Imagine you stepped on the road and a large vehicle is coming straight at you and someone pushed you out of the way, but that person was crushed to death. Has faith. That's what Jesus did. He pushed you out of the way and said, Father, I receive the wrath that they deserve. But because of grace, I will take it. You will never be the same after that moment, I tell you, church. I have never been the same after Jesus came in my life. You would think about what that person did for you. He pushed you out of the road, right? Now, let me say this. 
Jesus sped him through the sinful and deadly road of your life to save you. Romans 6.23, for the wages, that is the penalty, the bill of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now get the big picture. Hear the cry of Jesus. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? And again, Jesus is crying out to God, and God the Father says back, and Jesus and the Father gave the best that they had for us. No other religion, no other God has ever done that for you or for me or for the the whole world. Amen? Number two, grace is received by faith. It's received by faith. How do I get this gift? By faith. Do you know what faith is? Faith is? Faith is not belief in. Please get this. Faith is not believe in. It's trust in. Now get the difference. There's a difference. You see, when my kids were small, we used to go to the pool a lot. I was in the big pool, and my little, when they were small, they would say, Daddy, Daddy, uh, catch me, catch me, but, but I don't want to. Right? They're looking at me like, no, no, listen, uh, I want to, but uh, I, I'm, I'm afraid to jump. You see, they, they didn't just have a belief that I existed, that I was in the pool. No, that wasn't the point. The point is they believed they had faith in the promise that I would catch them and not let them drown. And so, of course, they jumped in. Why? Because they trusted that their father would catch them in the pool. You see, that's what God did for us. And when we understand it now, you are, you are understanding grace. Amen? Christianity is not a belief system. Well, you may say, well, I believe Jesus exists. Well, guess what? The devil believes and trembles. There's nothing nothing about that. It doesn't make him a Christian, I guarantee you. But coming to Jesus is crossing the line and say, Lord, I believe in you. I have faith in you. I believe what you did for me. You crossed the line, and now by faith and trusting in him, now you will experience the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works. Look at that verse. That's a powerful verse. So that no one can boast. No one can boast. Why? God did it all. He gets the glory. Why does God get the glory? He's done it all. He's done it all. He paid the price for you. It's amazing. Romans 4, 16. People receive God's promises by having faith. How were the Old Testament people saved? By faith. The Bible says that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He believed. That is, he trusted in the promises of God. There was no promise in the law of God. There's no promise, only curses. You obey or you die. In the Old Testament, when your children disobeyed you, they stoned them to death. They had a rock concert in, their, in your honor. That's how tough the law was. Nobody could fulfill it. Nobody could comply with the whole law. Amen? Well, you know, hey, preacher, you know, well, you know, hey, uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm saying I'm really glad that you're here. Because some people don't believe in this message of grace. I don't believe in that really preacher all the way. But you need to make a decision now. You have not crossed the line. You will never experience the grace of God, the line of faith. 
If you stay behind the line of fence, you will never, ever know what the grace of God is. Amen? Number three, grace is available to everyone. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Say that with me. Everyone. It doesn't matter where you're from, what you, what you believed in, what sin you committed, you're man or woman. Listen, it doesn't matter. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that is comforting. That is why I'm not a five-point Calvinist which teaches limited atonement that only certain people will be saved. No, the Bible says here, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Listen. Family Life wants to be a church of grace. And it doesn't want to cast the evil eye. It doesn't want to judge people. It wants to accept people. And this is what Pastor Terry believes. This is what I believe. This is what the leadership of the church believes, that we have the doors open to all who want to come to Family Life. Why? Because Jesus said everyone is welcome. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And nobody here should be judging anybody. Hey, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. You know, when I was pastoring the Spanish church almost seven, eight years ago, there was a gentleman that came up to me. Now, you know, I dress casual. I do wear a coat sometimes. And, uh, and anyway, this one time, I, I really didn't wear a tie. So he came up to me and goes, you know what? This is going on in Spanish. Every pastor should wear a tie to give God reverence so you can be accepted. I'm sorry. I didn't know that was in the Bible. So... So let me ask you something. Should I wear the tie when I go to sleep at night? How about when I get up in the morning and take the trash out? Should, should I still have the tie? I mean, I just, you know, I want to be accepted by God. Should I, should I still have the tie on? What about Saturday when I take my wife out to see a decent, clean movie? Should I still wear the tie so I can be accepted? You see how ridiculous that sounds? That's the problem that Jesus had with the religious leaders. They were throwing all these burdens on people. And they themselves couldn't even do it. That's why Jesus called them hypocrites. I love the way Jesus came out those religious leaders. You hypocrites. That was an insult, a great insult to any rabbi, to any rabbi. But Jesus is the great rabbi. We want to welcome everyone that comes into this church. doesn't matter. Listen, I heard, a, I heard a very powerful testimony of a pastor who was asked by a guy who's living a gay lifestyle. He asked, hey. Am I accepted in this church? And the pastor said, absolutely. You are welcome in this church. Because you see, the guy says, I was born this way. And the pastor wanting to teach him a lesson says, you know what? I was born that way too. You see, I was a liar. I was a cheater. I was an adulterer. I was all these things. I was full of greed and hatred. And, and let me tell you, I was naturally good at it. And the guy said, you know, I, I never heard of that before. Oh, yeah, the pastor said, I was bad to the bone. But thank God I found a place that let me come in as an adulterer, as a thief, as a liar, as a cheater. Because I was accepted and I allowed Jesus to do his work inside of me. Listen, church, you catch the fish. Let God bring the fish. Bring the fish in. Your fish is a man. God cleans the fish. Number three, let me see it on here. Great only comes, grace only comes through Christ. You know, the world's changing, and it breaks my heart how even the churches called Christian ministries are changing. They don't even mention the name of Jesus anymore. They don't talk about sin or the blood of Jesus. Hey, nothing has changed. 
from the word of God. The word of God is true. It has not changed. The Bible says that his word is established forever. And it's sad to hear ministries not mentioning the name of Jesus. No, let's just use God. Really, you know how many gods people worship? I remember I went to a, a print store because I, I currently work for UPS and I'm going to retire here pretty soon. And so I'm walking through this print and this guy, he was always happy. I said, man, this guy's got to be a believer. What's up, man? How you doing? He goes, man, I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed. Oh, man, this guy, man, this is on fire, man. Man, that's awesome, man. Oh, I'm glad you're blessed. Every day I would go in there, same thing. I'm blessed, man. Man, I'm blessed. Who's blessing you, man? God, man. God blesses me. Oh, man, that's awesome. What's his name? God. But God has a name. His name is God. You want to know his name? His name is God, he said. No, his name is Jesus. And all of a sudden, his demeanor just changed. Like, whoa. Like, the ble I'm blessed with God. <laughs> you see, that's why when you mention the name of Jesus, it makes a difference. Grace only comes through Christ. John 1, 7, John 1, this is uh, 117. For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.15, many people have received God's gift of life by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ. These few verses may not be in your notes. You can write them down. John 14.6, Jesus answered and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only name under heaven given to man. Grace is a gift and is received by faith. Galatians 2.21. Don't treat the grace of God as meaningless. For if we could be saved by keeping the law, and then there would be no need for Christ to die. Amen. Four. Grace is extended throughout eternity. Now listen to me, church. Grace is extended throughout eternity. When Jesus paid for your sin, he took, care, he took care of your past sins, your present, and your future. Even the sins you are currently doing now, God has forgiven you. You cannot lose your salvation if you are in Christ. Why? Because it says here that grace is extended throughout eternity. Jesus paid it all. In the Old Testament, let me finish here quickly. A little history in the Old Testament. There was a little Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness. It was placed in the holies of holies. There were a couple of items inside this little box. It was the, uh, the rod of Aaron, the tablets of God, and the manna. Each represented something. The rod represented God's delegated authority, which people rebelled in the wilderness against God's authority. And then the manna, the bread from heaven. The people complained and said, oh, manna again. They refused and complained about God's provision. And then the commandments broke God's law. So every time God would look into that little box, his anger would be provoked because his people had sinned against him. But then an innocent lamb had to die. And the blood was spread upon the mercy seat, which is the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And they were uh, forgiven of their sins for one year. It covered their sins. Oh, but let me tell you in the New Testament. John the Baptist says, Behold! The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the authority. And in him we have all authority. 
He is the bread of heaven. He has all authority. He has fulfilled the law. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law or to do away with it. I came to fulfill it. And when you accept Jesus Christ, God looks at you and as if you have fulfilled the law because the spirit of Christ, the spirit of grace lives within you. And now it's not by human effort, but by the spirit of the living God. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Give him a shout of praise because of what Jesus has done for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Look at that, eternal life. That means grace extends from your yes, extended from your yesterdays, your todays, and your tomorrows. Well, preacher, well, that's good grace talk. That means I can do and I can live the way I want. No, no, sir, no, ma'am, no one, no way. Grace does not let you off the hook. It changes your motivation for what you do. Grace does not say live the way you want to. Listen, Paul dealt with that in Romans. He said, hey, what shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Why would you obey the master of sin again? You see, church, grace is not changing yourself by your own human effort. Grace is God changing you. Results, Titus 2.11, and I'll close it here. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Notice what it says. It teaches us. It is not by human effort. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled lives. Self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. You see, the grace of God changes you on the inside. So what is the good definition of grace? Here it is. Grace is when what you ought to do becomes what you want to do. You see, it's not about following laws or rules. It's by saying, Father, I, I just want to love on you. I, I want to please you, Father. Thank you for your son. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me that I cannot do on my own. That's the grace of God, my undeserved favor. So this, my friend, is the grace of God. And guess what, church? I want you to have it in the name of Jesus. Can we pray? Thank you, Father. I want the spirit of grace to live in me for all eternity.
Did you share that prayer this morning by faith, believing, trusting in the Lord? You are saved. You've crossed the line of faith. Or maybe you're here this morning. You Maybe you attended a church that was real tough on laws and rules and regulations and maybe traditions of men. You've been battered all your life. You had to do right. You had to do this to please someone. Maybe you thought you had to do all these things to please God, to be accepted by him. Let me tell you, God wants to set you free. He wants to set you free from the curse of the law and from the traditions of men. Just say the simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I'm a believer, but I've been bound by rules, traditions, laws, because I've been doing them, trying to be accepted by you. But now because of your grace, I am your, your slave, Jesus. I belong to you. I am free. Nothing else will master me or my life but you. You said, Jesus, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So this day I declare freedom in my life to live a, Christ, a life of a Christianity with full of joy and peace and freedom in Christ. If you pray that prayer, you are free in Jesus' name. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. For all those who said this prayer of faith, for all those who said, Lord, I don't want to live bound by, by rules and regulations and traditions of men. Thank you, Lord, for setting them free. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you any place, anywhere, anytime. Thank you, Lord, that you never turn away when we call on you. You never say, don't bother me. No, you say, I believe, just believe and trust in And so, Lord, I thank you for the miracles that have occurred here today. And I can't wait to hear the testimony. To you be all the glory and praise this morning. See you are. 